Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, welcome to High End Hustle. I am your host, Angela Hollowell. This episode is a little different from our usual format. It's not really a structured interview. It's really just a recorded conversation that I'm having with my friend Flo, who is also a podcaster and a creative business owner. She focuses on podcast productions for brands, especially in the energy sector. So we have a little bit of overlap there in our day-to-day jobs. But we also have, you know, passion projects that we like to explore. And this is just a recorded episode of us chopping it up, shooting the breeze, uh, talking about a lot of different things, uh, like the software we use, the tools we're interested in trying, and so much more. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everyone. I'm Angela Hollowell. I am the host of the Honey and Hustle podcast. And I'm Flo Lumsden. I am the host of Why Raleigh, a podcast about what Raleigh what Raleigh is and what it will become. That is Raleigh, North Carolina, to be specific, in case people are listening and they don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I hope nobody got confused about which Raleigh we're talking about. Uh, but today, maps. I haven't like videotaped myself with braces yet. So I'm like, uh-huh. ah. anyway, but I also, I also have a client show, um, but I, I'm on it. It's called The World Changing Podcast for a startup called Aston, building renewable power plants. So we have a show about all kinds of things relating to getting renewable energy on the grid. Uh, I also have a branded show. I do it in collaboration with Castos called Creative Architects. And it is a show about the future of the creator economy. And today, uh, I think we're going to get into a little bit of rapid fire, have a little bit of fun. So I'll yeah. go ahead and get us kicked off with the first question. Flo, how would you describe why Raleigh in three words? Oh, boy. Um, Personable, community, future. Okay. What was the first show that got you into podcasting? The first show that got me into podcasting, I typically say the Ground Up Show, which is the truth. It is a show by Matt Diavella. But I would maybe take it a step further. And the show that kept me going in podcasting was actually the Zane Lowe podcast by Apple Music. I feel like he's just an incredible interviewer. And he was a big creative influence in how I approached crafting the show and crafting my interview style, I guess. That's a very good answer. (laughs) And I also love that show. And he is great at being personable. If you weren't podcasting, how would you spend your creative energy? trying to make documentary films about historical things in Raleigh that nobody knows about that are really cool. Okay. Okay. Would you like to give us an example or are we blowing up your spot? She said TMI, TMI, no, NDA. We're not answering that. <laughs> no, I think uh, St. Agnes Hospital at St. Augustine's, it's St. Augustine's University. I say St. Augustine, but yeah, same Augustine. Thing. Yeah is an incredible story. And um, if I had more free time, or maybe in the future, but the idea behind the Why Raleigh show is just sort of get myself out there as a 
storyteller in Raleigh about Raleigh stories. And then hopefully that will be a supporting factor in allowing me to do other stories, bigger, longer form ones. So, yeah. I like that. I like that. That's a see, perfect segue. Perfect segue. What's your favorite podcasting tool or software that you find yourself constantly recommending? Uh, right now, I would say it's not technically a podcasting tool, but it's a tool that I use very often for my show. And that is Zapier. It is yeah. kind of like the glue that binds some of my apps and software together that wouldn't normally have integrations or talk to each other. So mm-hmm. for example, uh, when the show is running, I have what they call a zap on Zapier uh, that automates uh, every time a, something new populates in my RSS feed, I'll automatically have a post that goes to LinkedIn with some pre, pre-filled pre text and some slots for the title and description of the show and links to go check it out. So that's something that I have really been enjoying and I think a lot of people would benefit from. So Awesome. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Or maybe I have and I just didn't know what it was. So thank you for telling me about that. What's your biggest accomplishment as a podcaster? So far, I'm really proud of my work with Aston. We have used the podcast to grow their network, raise funds, build trust within the renewable and power grid modernization industry, which is allowing them to do really cool deals. So it's a soft sell tool. We found that the podcast has supported what they're doing in ways that we didn't expect. Mm. Um, And on top of it, people who are interested in these topics, I think also enjoy the show if, if they're interested in learning about the power grid and renewable energy. So it's got a lot of different purposes that I'm really proud of. Who is a creative figure or podcaster that you look up to and why? Right now, I guess technically the answer is to, I've really been diving deep on the Colin and Samir show. Um, I really like how they structure their interviews and the time and effort and intentionality they put into crafting an interview from the way that it looks to the questions they ask to the way that it feels and also how they've augmented their interview-based show with the creator support, which is a more ask me anything type of format on this show. So really a more engaging format for the audience where the audience can submit questions and they can answer them directly. Either people can submit through their discord, through a form on their website, through social media, uh, whatever it is. And they also kind of take that time to maybe talk about things that are present in the creator economy that maybe they didn't touch on in an interview. So I think um, they are doing some really innovative things in the video podcast space and pushing the boundaries of what it means to be a video podcast. And that's something that I want to do as well in my own way. Mm-hmm. And so, and so those are who I'm, those are the people I'm looking at right now. Tell yeah. me the name of the show, Colin and. Colin and Samir, the Colin and Samir Colin, show. Colin and Samir show. I will definitely check that out. Some of the things you said made me think about different tools that podcasters use to get support for their show. Patreon is one of those tools where you can kind of create a private or more personal community for your followers and they can support you directly. Is that something you've thought about doing? It is. It is. Yeah. I have a Patreon. It's not super, super live. We're still making some tweaks to it, but I'm really excited about some of the new developments and features that have come to Patreon. And I think that they've really taken the steps to listen to both the fans and supporters, but also the people who create and use Patreon to support their creative work. 
to see how they can make it better. And so it's always awesome to see when a tech company actually listens to its users and, and provides features that people have been asking for. I lived in San Francisco. I had some friends who worked for them and I got to go to some parties at the Patreon office. Oh, nice. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to a podcast. I was listening to um, both of the founders on how I built this with Guy Raz. Mm-hmm. And originally the original Patreon office was just like this two bedroom apartment that they rented out. <laughs> and they would have like their interns and stuff come to this apartment and be like, this is our workspace and <laughs> this is where we come to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, that. I'm in my home office, so. Yeah. But I don't invite people over here to work with me, though. <laughs> like, I know. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, fair. Fair. I mean, you already pay for it. Might as well. So. Yeah. I have had a thought. Something I was talking to my client, my the founder of the startup about like this week was how he feels like podcasts of founders about the business, about the community could be a great way to disseminate information and create community across like broad networks of people. Mm-hmm. If you have a big company or even a small company that's like all dispersed all over the world of people working together, if you have a podcast about maybe not even giving like formal updates, but what the founder is thinking about, what they're excited about, sort of just keeping people feeling connected to the leadership of an organization, how that's a really valuable tool as well. Mm-hmm. I was just having a meta thought about how Patreon could have a podcast about running Patreon and like feature their members and talk about the features and how that could be a cool tool for them, which is kind of funny. It's like so meta. (laughs) But like when you think about it, like I'm not a podcast producer in the sense that I produce podcasts for other people like you are. And so something I've seen floated, but I've never actually heard because maybe I don't work at a company, but it's like this concept of having an internal podcast. So what you're saying But for, you know, people that work there, you know, like how can you keep them in touch with the CEO who probably isn't a part of the day-to-day operations at that point, but also keeping them personable, kind of giving insights to what he's thinking and where the company's going and maybe some challenges he sees on the horizon or things like that or challenges they're working through and trying to be transparent about that as well. And then also, I guess, like if they, if they existed, like would people share them? Like, would we know about them if we didn't work at the company? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that there could be internal ones and there could be like, depending on the nature of the business. Like, I know, I think Red Hat has an internal one. Um, I don't know if it's internal or external. Mm. I know they, they have a podcast producer. I've met her and she does produce, but I don't know if she produces for Red Hat or for clients of Red Hat. You know what I mean? I don't think Red Hat pr- produces podcasts. They do. They do? They do. Really? Yeah. It seems outside of their wheelhouse to me. But... It does. But they also have like filmmakers and stuff. So maybe not. I don't know. I think that's just for their own content. Yes. But I think like the person was telling me like they have clients at Red Hat that they produce for. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But that's just what a little birdie told me. You know what I'm saying? That would shock me. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And they're owned by IBM now. So I don't know. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Pindo might be following that route. We'll see. Yeah. But I think for companies like Patreon or Airbnb or even Uber, like companies where the employees, like there's direct employees and then there's like, Partners are really 
really important to like that the network is like is the business right yeah. like the network of hosts the network of guests like that kind of business could be a great fit for this type of podcast that's meant to keep everybody abreast and just feeling connected to the company since they don't go into an office or they're like just treated more like part of the company even though they're partners if that makes sense yeah and i mean like one good example where i think an internal podcast would be great for them was like how new york kind of gutted airbnbs it's like when you want to hear that from the ceo and not like yeah a newspaper headline with probably a misleading title like right you know, like, yeah like those like you can't those businesses like have to take really good care of their partners because that's their business yeah not just their direct employees yeah i agree that's something I've been thinking about lately is like, cause I didn't, when we started this show, it wasn't something I was trying to do, but he's, my client was saying that he feels like that's a big reason why he wants to keep the show going mm-hmm. is to help the team that's all over the world feel connected to what they're doing. I often think, oh, I wish I just had a platform to just like talk about shit that's not like super focused, but also I like having my shows being super focused. So it's, yeah. It's a blessing and a curse because like there's also this kind of like element and this is with any creating when you're on screen talent like I think about this as like a YouTuber as well Mm -hmm. it's like I'm talking about things that I care about whether they're focused or not and I have the audacity to think that somebody else gives a shit and so Mm -hmm. it's just like (laughs) it's just kind of like that's where you're at you kind of have to own that on some level you just think that like yeah my perspective or thoughts or ideas are important enough where somebody's going to sit here and give me their time to listen to me talk about whatever it is. I think there's a couple different ways to look at that. We all like, we all want to be connected to each other and deep down, that's what we want as humans is to feel connected to other people. And um, I think that this is a way to do that. And then also when it comes to our perspective on things that we feel matter, it's important to use your voice. Like it's just, there's nothing selfish about it. We're here. We have a right to be here in the world, in our country. We have a voice and I think it encourages other people to use their voice. I think there's more altruism to it than, than it sometimes feels, you know, maybe. Yeah, I would definitely say that. And again, this could be from a perspective of recognizing how much stuff is put out into the world on a regular basis from blogs to podcasts to YouTube videos. And so I definitely don't want to be a part of discouraging people either from using their voice because, you know, sometimes you just never know how things are going to resonate with people. Even if, you know, only a hundred people watch a video, there's a hundred people maybe got something great out of it, you know? So you have to consider that as well. That was something else my client and I were talking about this week was there's a lot of pressure, at least like for me, like, oh, like if I want to get another client, I have to have a really successful show. We need a lot of lists. Like what is like traditionally for podcasting, the idea has been you're successful if you have a lot of listeners or followers or views. You're not. But if if, if you don't, then you're not really successful. He was sort of challenging that to me. And now I'm on board like. An analogy that you could use is um, the reason why Google Ads was so successful is not because it reached so many people. It's because it reached those ads allowed businesses to reach the right people that could actually be customers. So I think there's ways to use this format that's more surgical, 
I mean, if that's the best word, but like more directed at the right people and less about reaching a ton of people. And it's still being very, very powerful for a business or for, you know, different purposes, campaigns. So I think that's another reframe that I'm trying to have within myself about my own content so that, but it's hard to sell that because people are so used to thinking bigger, better, bigger, better, when in reality, the conversions are what matter, whether it's sales or signups or. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And I think too, like we're going to start and I would like to see us have more conversation like us as a collective of creators about the difference between like the width of your reach. So like how many people you reach, but like the depth of your reach, you know, those two, because again, like what you're saying, is like, yeah, maybe I have a hundred people, but if I ask them or tell them about a product that I use that has an affiliate link and 70 of them, you know, click that link and and check it out. That's a really huge amount of people that are engaged and that trust you enough to at least check it out Mm -hmm. versus like maybe having 10,000 listeners per episode and maybe only and still 70 only click like that's a really huge disparity. Right. Um, And it speaks to, you know, the resonance that you can have. Um, that's really what's going to be important in the long run. And I, I don't know if we're at a place collectively as a creative community where we're like really talking about how we're telling the context of numbers and the context of stories right now, because maybe not everybody is using or tracking that type of data that would speak to the depth of the relationship you have with your audience. When you listen to a podcast, it's like 45 minutes. The way people talk about things the stories, like it's long form and the impact of that, if someone listens to the whole thing, it's it's going to sink in over time. Like what they heard, that conversation, how that story was told, why it was told, who told it. All those things are impactful if someone listens to a full episode. And it's really hard to measure that. Dude, I literally was up last night thinking about that. So, okay. So yesterday... I had Ninth Wonder on the show, which is like a huge win for, you know, my show. Not that like we, I didn't think we'd get big guests, but just because like this is a, a guest that I was really excited about. Um, it is my first time kind of trying to get a bigger guest on the show. Like I've not really been going after names or clout, but really rather stories that I'm interested in. And, you know, I did was doing my research, doing my prep. I did custom rapid fire questions for him. So I broke my own rules in terms of like treating everybody the same. We're not Uh going to go there. But (laughs) at the end of it, you know, I'm still thinking about, you know, I crafted it a certain way. I think it went really well. I think it went the way that I wanted it to go. But, you know, even at the end of that, I'm thinking about, oh, we didn't really dive into this. You know, we didn't really get to explore that. You know, this Mm -hmm. was a really big gap on his previous interviews that I really didn't ask about because I didn't think he would feel comfortable sharing all these other things you know, all these other different directions I could have taken, you know, our conversation, but I just didn't. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, I'm still satisfied, but that is something I think about. It's like a conversation, especially with a bigger person who maybe has a bigger digital media footprint, who's done a lot of bigger high profile interviews that are searchable um, that you can reference. Like you would think it would be easier because you have so much information to pull from, but it also makes it hard to, for you to determine like what is going to be one interesting to me what's going to be valuable for my audience? And then two, what are the things that I'm interested in that may not really be relevant to the premise of the show, right? So like, yes, tangents are going to happen, 
mindful, like how many tangents am I allowing to happen by guiding the conversation a certain way? So like, yeah. these are all the things that I think about constantly. Um, <laughs> that sounds yeah, so nerdy, but yeah. I think like in advance, like just kind of riffing off of what you said, um, you, there's a lot of different types of approaches to a podcast. You could send them the questions in advance. You could not send them the questions in advance. You can talk to them for 15, 20 minutes before and make sure you have a sense of like what they want to talk about and what they don't want to talk about so that you go in with sort of like an idea of what the conversation might be. Or you could not do that. Mm -hmm. I personally do that because I'm paranoid about people being generally happy with the conversation that we have. And also, especially for my client show where we have technical people on, there's a lot of things we could talk about. We kind of have like an, an arch for the show in mind. But yeah, I mean, you don't want to take away from the organic uh, potential excitement of a first time conversation yeah. by pre-rehearsing it too much or talking about it in advance too much. I think that if you can, that's like a skill. Like yeah. if you can talk to someone about something and then talk to them about it again and make it sound like the first time and have all of your points in mind, like that is, that's a skill that an interviewer I think practices and gets better at. Yeah. And that's something that I've been putting into practice. I would say this season and a little bit last season, like I've had repeat guests on the show. Um, and a lot of times, well, really every time that I've done it so far, or even th thought to invite someone back on the show, it was because I noticed that they had made significant strides since the last time we talked. Right. So I wouldn't just be regurgitating the same interview. We'd be talking about what they've been doing since I last spoke with them and getting maybe a little bit deeper than maybe I did the first time on certain things, because I probably have a established relationship with them and that's something too that I pride myself on the show which is like you're not just coming on the show so I can get clout you come on the show and I am in your corner for life like I'm going to support you for life you know what I mean you're having a grand opening I'm there with my camera ready to buy yeah. something whatever the hell it is it's like kind of a friendship if it's like if it's if yeah. that's what it is like yeah if that's what it could be then yeah. you're like totally open to that yeah yeah. That's so that's, that's kind of the approach. And I am really good friends with them. They call me, they text me, like I have, you know, show guests. I do that all the time. Send me grants. We talk to each other all the time. Um, but one thing I will say in terms of like prep. So like, yes, I did all that for Ninth Wonder and I do something very similar for most people. Do I send my guests all of that? No, I don't. I never do. And I've had some marketing, you know, managers. I hope they're not watching this right now. I've had them badger me like repeatedly, like, Hey, can you send me questions? Hey, can you tell me what this is going to be about? Mm -hmm. I will cave and at least tell people the theme, like some of the things we'll be talking about. I do not give specific questions. I do not let marketing managers view the first draft. I don't let them view any draft. You see it when everybody else sees it. And that sounds really harsh, but like my whole thing is why create a show where somebody else dictates the outcome? Like I do try to talk to the guests. And in terms of just like making a better, one thing that I heard Tim Ferriss say that he does is when he books a guest, he says, hey, like, what would make this a win for you? You know, what would make this really great for you, right? Yeah. So that he at least on some level has an idea of how he can, you know, exceed expectations for that, you know, meet or exceed expectations. And I think yeah, that's something I've never book. asked. Yeah, like if they have a new book coming out and like yeah. they're happy to talk about other things, but that would just be, you know, so yeah. helpful for them if, if you ask a question about the book. Like, yeah. I think most interviewers would love to do that. Like we want to make yeah. our guests happy but we also want our show to feel authentic yeah. and real and I've definitely struggled with people 
I've learned some lessons lately with people that want to over edit my show or the show. And I'm like, I don't like this anymore. Right. Like this doesn't feel like we're taking all of your personality out because you don't like it. Yeah. But that's your personality. Like, sorry. There's definitely like that, that especially with a video podcast, which I think like why rally is not at this moment, but maybe in the future, but like, you know, like I'm a lot less hard on like the ums and the us because right. I feel like it when you're watching someone speak, that is a normal speech pattern, right? Yeah. Maybe when you're listening and you're in the car or you're cleaning, you don't want to hear somebody going, uh, for like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's not, um, like it's not noticeable because you're not watching them do that. You know what I mean? So for, for all intents and purposes, you think they're just talking normally if it's edited well. And I think for a YouTube video or anything in video format, like there's definitely some benefits to realizing the difference between done and perfect and like being okay with everything not being perfect because perfect is like so unrealistic. And then, you know, the thing is like, if you come on the show and you, you know, it's your first time being on a podcast and it's the first time you don't really record yourself talking very much, you're probably going to talk in a way that you're going to, they're probably, you're probably going to say things and do things that you're like, oh, I wish I had done that different because it's not something you do regularly. So yeah. you're going to get better at it, but also you can't expect the podcast host or producer to like change everything for you. Yeah. I think it's weird. Like one thing too, that I'll say that I, another reason I don't send people drafts or let them review things ahead of time, because sometimes like it's jarring to see yourself on camera, especially if you're not on camera very often. Mm -hmm. And I think when I just put it out there with the promise that I'm going to do everything I can to make it incredible and show you in the best light possible, um, based on our conversation and interaction, I think one, the realization that they have to accept that it's out there. So like that helps smooth over this like initial, like, you know, any kind of negative reaction they may have. And then the other half is like, this is how people see me talk all the time. And I got to do it with somebody that I'm super comfortable with. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think like just really, you know, the host of a show has a lot more power than I think a lot of people think. Um, in creating a good experience for the guest and for the viewer. So it's something definitely something I'm I mean I've been kind of spoiled with my client because he's just trusts me implicitly and he'll have a note here and there but it's normally having to do with like something scientific or something topical that's like right or that we need to adjust because we realize it wasn't correct like factually or something but it's not like how he sounds or the way he's talking like he lets me do my thing and he accepts what it is. So now that I'm doing the Why Raleigh show and I'm interviewing a bunch of different people that I don't know as well and they have different requests or expectations, it's trickier. I'm like, I don't want to upset anyone, but I also have to, yeah, it's also still my show. And so I guess the thing is, if you accept being on a show, you just have to like, that's your choice. You can also say no to being on a show, right? But to your point, too, something I'll say that I'm kind of noticing it maybe a little more clearly now that I've just started a new show. So Creative Architects came out in August, which is kind of close to the time frame of Why Raleigh, which also came out this fall, is like when you have a new show and people don't have previous examples that they can look at, they're much more reluctant to get on, especially people who are like 
I don't say seasoned, but just like experienced people with being on interviews because they're just mm-hmm. like, if I don't know what I'm getting into, I'm probably not going to say yes. I'm going to let you get a few interviews under your belt and then I may circle back or may just express interest for the next season or whatever it is. And I, on some level, have to respect that because I appreciate people who are willing enough to do their research into like what the show format is and like what my interview style is and what the quality of the show is um, to see if that's something that, you know, would ultimately, I won't say would be worth their time, but something that they would be interested in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a harder sell. <laughs> it just is. And I, you know, we'll often point people, at least because I have Honey and Hustle, I'll point people to that and be like, well, it's going to be in a similar format, a little bit shorter. You know, this is still me, still the host, like still my personality. That's not going to change. Right. But um, yeah, I just feel like that sell is is harder. And I don't know how to get around that if you're a new, you know, interview based show. Still, it's just yeah, finding people that trust you. Some growing pains. I'm just going through some growing pains. And I, one thing I do like about working with clients is, you have like a, a client that you like. You have a team that you guys came up with the idea for, for the show together. They're invested in it. They're they're spending money on it. So like they're, you know, obviously like on board. Right. And they can help you deal with the guests that you guys bring on the show together versus when you're just on your own with your own show. It can feel a little bit more like uh, everyone's like, just feels a little more like more pressure to make everybody happier or to deal with that for some reason. I would say this year, especially like really probably last year as well, when I started saying, okay, like I want to be a little more serious. I want to invest more in the team around the podcast. Like I don't want to be editing everything like, you know, all that type of stuff. That's when I started also taking the quality of the relationships that I have with guests a little more serious too. Um, mm-hmm. Because I was putting my own money into the show again. Um, not, well, not again, but like my, I was already putting my time into the show, but now I'm putting time and money. So it's a bigger level of investment for me and emotionally because I was starting to think differently about the show as well. And now, like, I also think about like guests who are hard to book, like thinking critically about like how far am I willing to go to have a certain guest? Like, do I just need to say like, this isn't the right time or this isn't maybe the right guest mm-hmm. or if I have guests that don't seem to be excited or only seem to be interested in using my show as like a PR piece for them, a part of their portfolio, like I'm not a billboard, not an advertiser. And I have to be, you know, be upfront about what I need to get out of the show to be happy with it, which is not to be feeling like I'm sold to. Right. Like we don't want a a TED talk about their business. No, it's going to be organic, which is one of the good things about not sending certain people your questions in advance. Cause if they're, we had a guest on the World Changing Podcast show who does a lot of talks, like big talks at conferences yeah. and stuff. And he represented a big company. And so we sent him the questions in advance, but only the day before or the yeah. night before. So, and we had met and talked with him in advance about what we wanted to talk about. So we had definitely talked with him before. So we kind of knew what we wanted to talk about, but we avoided it sounding rehearsed because it was still. I mean, I don't know what he, if he would have rehearsed it if we'd given him the questions in advance, but he might have because that's what he does a lot. It's like his mm. one of the things he does. So, um, yeah. But then other times I, I've been interviewed and I didn't prepare my questions and I bombed it. Like I was like, I wish I had like thought about the, <laughs> the answers before, not so they were scripted, but just so that I knew what I wanted to say. Um, so I don't know. It can kind of go both ways, I guess. 
Yeah. I very distinctly remember my first time being like a guest speaker on anything. And it was um, the wrong thing to be a guest speaker on for the first time. It was um, RTP 180. Have you heard of that series that they do at mm-hmm. Frontier RTP? So Frontier RTP, every month they have a different theme and they invite um, like four or five people from different industries to talk about that one thing. So sometimes it'll be like yoga. Sometimes it'll be like mental health. I'm sure they've had one on AI. And the one that I was on was um, it was in September 2020. And it was on Black narratives and Black storytelling. It was on storytelling. I was on storytelling. And yes, I am a storyteller. Did I know how to articulate that to an audience? Hell no at the time. <laughs> and I felt terrible. And I was... Yeah, I was like up there with like Sueli, who is incredible, and like Nehemiah from STEM Media, who's awesome. And I've had him on the show. I was up there with um, Phil Freeline, who was like running oh, for office at oh that time. Yeah. Right? I was, he's like a legit celebrity, and especially in North Carolina. I don't know, maybe elsewhere too. But. And then there was me. So not a celebrity. <laughs> but I totally get like how. You, I could see like that could have been an experience where you were like, I wish I had like sort of done like some media training almost in advance yeah. to practice how and what I wanted to say. But it's um, also just like very emblematic of my experience being an entrepreneur, which is definitely trial by fire and building the plane as you fly it and yeah. not having any advanced preparation for any stage of business that I've been at. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> so. and, then you're, and you're like in the moment, you're like, this sucks so bad. Like, yeah. I'm so stressed. I'll never forget, like, last year I lost both of my clients in the same month and I was, like, freaked out. I was like, mm. this is not supposed to happen this way. They're supposed yeah. to, like, one of you is supposed to drop off and then the other one's supposed to stick around until I find another one, which, <laughs> yeah, you can't. Like, obviously I can't yeah. tell them what to do, but... And then I, like... But, like, when I look back at it now, I'm like, oh, like, that was such a good thing for me. Like, it pushed me... I really needed to move on to new and different types of projects. And now I'm so happy with what I'm doing. And I couldn't think of anything potentially even better that I'd want to do more than work with this startup on renewable energy. That's like something I care about so much. And he's such a great client. And anyway, as an entrepreneur, you can't, you can't like, like it's going to happen. Like those moments are going to happen where you just feel like everything's going wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. know. That wasn't that wasn't one of those moments. I I don't think, but I was just sort of like I sort of jumped there from what from what you said about like feeling like no, that's definitely how I find building. Definitely, <laughs> I was just like, Lord Jesus, why? <laughs> and you know what's so funny is like we feel like oh everyone's seen it. Like we care so much about our reputation or how we present ourselves, and we should like it's our it's us. Like people are gonna. Like people who do see it are going to say something to us about it. But also there's so much content out there that like a lot of people aren't, don't see it. The next thing you do might be the first thing they ever see that you do. And, you know, you just got to keep moving. Even if an interview you did doesn't go as well as like you would have liked for it to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like take notes or anything like before you even start the editing process? Um, yeah. Or highlight things that you want to cut or clip or. Oh my social? God. Yeah. I'll like, cause I'm really big on big picture, like making the episode flow well and like having a good start, a good middle and a good ending to an episode. And sometimes I'll move like big chunks around. Mm. 
for my clients that pay me well, (laughs) I'll spend a long time editing their episodes because these are episodes that they might use for fundraising, for network building in the industry. So really important people would be listening to it. It needs to be entertaining because otherwise people won't listen. So it has to have a strong start and then some personality, some personability, but then also really clear, concise information uh, about the topic and interesting conversations about the topic. And um, so I might move a topic up, you know, Mm -hmm. in the conversation and then make it flow so that another topic comes up later because as we know, if it's a long episode, a lot of people don't finish the episode. So like the first, I feel like the first 30 to 40 minutes are like what you can expect someone to probably listen to. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, like whatever bits that we really like that we want in there that, you know, someone who's really, really into, you know, yeah, low meeting generation on the power grid can make it all the way through the hour and yeah. 15 minutes and hear more about that at the end. So, but I, I'll listen to it over and over and over and make notes and make notes and make like, it's okay. a very iterative intense process where I'm like, it's like writing a, like a paper, you know? Mm. Do you put chapter markers for your episodes? Like I have on some okay. of the YouTube versions. Okay. Um, I think one or two of them also have them in Spotify it's not a huge priority. Um, yeah, I was trying to gauge. Like, I know at one point chapters were really big on YouTube, like, because it also gave you another chance for like SEO and searchability when you added oh. those titles and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So when people search, like, they can see different titles of your video. Um, and I've used it. And it also helps Google, like, narrow down if you're searching for something. It'd be like, watch this like 51 second part of this video. This is where the information you need is, which is interesting that it also logs all your text. So I was like, I don't know if that's how it works for like the audio version of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, do you search for something? Right. You put maybe like show notes. Right? Yeah. And then that's how like another way for people to discover your show. If there's topics that aren't directly addressed in the title, which is very likely on anything over 15 minutes right yeah it's so interesting to me that you don't do that you're not interested in doing like client podcasts yeah and I think I don't know maybe we can talk about how you actually got started in podcasting because for me it took me like a month to realize that Honey and Hustle was actually a podcast and it took me a a whole first season for me to even put the audio on streaming I so I finished the entire season one. I think that's really common. I, I've, really? I've, I've met with people who are, are coming from a video background, which technically I am too, but I've met with people who are coming from a video background who want to p- start a YouTube podcast and they're only going to have it on YouTube and it's going to be yeah. video because these are video people creating a podcast. And okay. I'm like, dude, like, no, I mean, that's awesome. And like, that's great. But like, it's not that hard to just put it on everywhere else and there's built-in audiences there for that content as well like why wouldn't you put it on spotify and apple and all that and like i found that surprising and like i said that to them and they're like no 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 like we're gonna do it this way i'm like okay it wasn't even that i didn't want to 
it was that that's just not how I saw it. Like I didn't see it as a podcast for a long time. Okay. And I wasn't sure if the show was going to translate as well to an audio experience. And that is something that I had to work on in following seasons was like, yeah, maybe I don't need a 15 to 30 second intro with no words and just music like because nobody's going to know what the hell's going on right yeah it's <laughs> you know, not going to translate well yeah right? so so there is definitely even from a creating standpoint there was an adjustment there but you know for me you know I just started this as like a love thing like people didn't even know what I did like, there are people that came on my show for the entire first season and they thought all I did was that show they had no idea that I was a filmmaker like they had no idea I was a photographer you know mm-hmm. and I did social at the time they had no idea I did social media management and strategy so it was like strictly like, this is about you. This is about creating a platform for other founders and entrepreneurs. This isn't about me. I didn't talk about myself really at all. Mm-hmm. Like straight up, just like super humble beginnings and just pure intentions, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I think about, and when I created it at the time, as a pandemic show, and I was like, I just want a way to flex this muscle like every week, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I want to be creating something. Yeah. And it's easier. Let's say it's easier. But I would be forced to be more comfortable with being on camera if I had somebody else there with me. And that was also something I wanted to work on, which is like being more comfortable being on camera Mm -hmm. because it was really daunting for me creating YouTube videos by myself in a room, like, and hearing myself talk and seeing my mannerisms. Like that was really weird. And it took me a long time to get through that because I was editing all my own stuff. And so like when it came time for people to be like, hey, can you produce this for me? Number one, I felt like I was out of the gate pricing myself out of the market and still definitely am to this day because of how much I know that I've invested into my gear, how much of expertise I'm bringing. You know, these aren't cameras that I got for podcasting. These are cameras I got to make films. Like these are not cheap cameras, like mm-hmm. the expertise that I have in editing long form stuff. Like I just felt like I was pricing myself out of the market. And two, like it wasn't really stuff that I wanted to do. It wasn't really stuff that was a creative itch for me. You know, the creative process that makes it fun for me is the curation, is the hosting, is the planning, is the creative direction, is the look and feel of creating a completely new brand, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. your podcast is a brand. And so like, those are the things that make it fun for me. And when I don't have creative control over things like that, and I have to do the stuff that I don't like to do, which is the editing and the guest outreach and all the damn follow-up, excuse my language, but like, you know, like that's, that's not what makes making a podcast fun for me, you know, making the podcast fun for me is the other stuff. And so that's kind of why I just like, yeah, I could like, yeah, but I, that's somebody else's bag to make. Like, you know, I have full faith. Somebody else is going to have a great time doing that stuff. You summarize that last part. You, what's somebody else's. Oh, somebody else's bag. Like, Like when I say somebody else's bag, what I mean is like, there's a lot of ways to make money. That's not the way for me to make, I don't feel like that's the way for me to make money. And I'm completely okay with that. Like that's somebody else's, that's, you know, that's an avenue for somebody else. Not for So me, you're talking you know? about clients that you were happy, you were okay with passing by. Yeah. But you're not, how does this connect to the podcast and how you were, because that's something I did for me, you know, with no expectations, with no expectation of ever making money. I'm glad that it has now because it's just expensive to do, but, um, and to do well, but that wasn't the goal. It wasn't like, yeah, I want to blow up making podcasts. Like that was not my original goal. It was really just like, 
I want to create something. I want to have fun creating something. I want to challenge myself as a creator. And I want to make something incredible. And even to this day, that's still the goal. When I wake up, like, I'm happy my bills are paid, but I'm really just worried about, like, making the best stuff possible. You're very pure in your... Intense. I'm Which kind of goes like, against I, the business ethos. I'm like, okay, I'm over here like strategy. <laughs> what can I say? It's gonna get my next client. And you're like, I just want to interview business people and connect with people and make it stories. And like, I do too. But I have had such a hard time making money trying to do that that I'm sort of temporarily given up on just making the art that I want to make. And I've decided to do more businessy stuff because well I can do businessy stuff that I care about which is environmentally focused but I have to mm-hmm. think strategically about how everything I'm doing is going to help me make money yeah I mean like and I say that this is definitely related to podcasting like filmmaking is a little bit different I will say um you know like in complete honesty you know I started off as a photographer And even in the music industry and wedding industry, you know, I started seeing like there are benefits to knowing how to do both. And I was interested in doing videography, but I was also like, if I could be a really like a really good hybrid photographer and filmmaker, which there still are very few of us out there. Yeah, I could name my name my price. And that's exactly what happened. So I put in a lot of time and effort in learning how to be a really good filmmaker and a really good photographer, but definitely realized that it's not the entire process of filmmaking that excites me. It's the ideation. It's the production side of things, not necessarily the post-production. Once I give it to the editor, I'll see you when it's live, honey. I really don't care. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, yes, I want to look over and give feedback, but I don't want to, like, I have no interest in being in the editing room at all. Like, you know, um, and I do edit and I think it's weird too. Like I was working, I have an editor that, you know, that we won't say his name, but you know, like we, I've been working with him and I will edit stuff or give him feedback. And he's like, you know, you really know what you're doing. And it's like, yeah, it's not that I don't know what I'm doing. It's just that I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I look at editing as very creative, though. Um, I like editing. I mean, it's tedious and exhausting, but it reminds me of when in school when I used to have to write a paper, I'd put it off, put it off. And then once I actually got into it and I got the sound, the quote, the sound bite, not sound bites, but the, <laughs> the facts and figures and I got my story together and I started actually writing it. I was like, this is fun. Like I'm, r- I'm writing something interesting. Like I finally know what I want to say. That's kind of how I feel about video except I like it a lot more than writing a paper because it's like mm-hmm. you get to play it back and watch this little story and feel the vibe of the music and the excitement of, of how it's starting. And like, I, I like editing. I know. I feel like there's, I love that there's people that get energy from it. I'm just not one. I just. Well, we would make a good it. team though, if that's the case, then we could go get some, you could be the pump up woman for getting it started. Cause I have a hard time getting it started. I'm like, I don't want to write a grant. <laughs> like, but then once, Dude. once it's going, I'm like, okay, okay, let's, let's schedule the shoot. Let's get the people. Let's mm-hmm. book the interviews. Let's collect all the inf- like, collect all the content and then organize it and then edit it. And then I get excited once the ball's rolling. So maybe if we do a project together, you could be more of the ball initiator. And that would be helpful because I'm not always the best with that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely am an initiator. Like, have a run list of projects ready to go that I'm all equally excited about. So 